welcome those who are worshiping online. I want to say that the God you serve is faithful, and uh, we are privileged to be able to meet at this time. I was talking with a pastor friend yesterday. He was thinking about some things that he had in, in, the, in the future and, um, and telling me about their new building and, and things like that. We were just discussing, a very bosom friend of mine. Uh, and I said to him, I said, man of God, what happened to the world in the last one year shook the church. But with hindsight, everything is working together for good. He said, I, he said, I agree, I agree, I agree. <laughs> I said, it has forced all of us out of our comfort zones, the things we used to do so easily. We have had to stretch. And this is God's desire. Not, it's not for punishment, but because he desires that there can be more that we can do. Of course, we know that this few months have been a very painful time for many people and um, you know uh, people have actually lost loved ones if if they haven't lost their if, if the people that we know haven't lost their own lives they've actually lost loved ones and we're aware of this and we know that it is never an easy experience for anyone but I just want you to know that God is sovereign and God knows much more than we all do the key thing is that you are still alive and I'm still alive Stop worrying about what has happened. Now, the question is, what are you and I going to do with this great gift of life that God has put ahead of us? I have survived so many things that could have killed me. Many things. Killed me personally, killed me in a group, and then I've survived another pandemic. So I have no reason whatsoever, whatsoever, not to just want to continue to serve this God. And neither should you. But we want to believe God that his faithfulness will keep us through this journey, as we continue to live the eternal life in Jesus' name. We started a series about three weeks ago, three Sundays ago, and um, it was, um, it is themed eternal life now, eternal life now. And as you can see on the banner, I believe the banner is available today, uh, we are on the third session, which is on working with Jesus. Thank you very much for that. Um, we, I explained last week that the inspiration behind the picture was something to show that there is something glorious that is ahead, but it's shining into the today. And because it's shining into the today, and you have to live in the today, you can see the blurriness of the trees around you. And that's the only way I can picture the understanding of eternal life for a Christian in this world. The Bible says we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are earthly, but heavenly at the same time. And it takes understanding not to see that blurriness and, and to ask ourselves, how does this really work? How am I a God on this earth? How am I, you know, living the life of the very life of God on this earth of pollution? And I'm eating the same food, drinking the same water like everybody else. But I want you to know that the more you press into understanding that light, the more God shows you what looks fuzzy and hazy starts to get clearer. Hallelujah. It takes understanding. So this is what this whole series is all about. We started by looking at living by the resurrection power. We say it's a very key essential aspect of the eternal life. When you receive Jesus, what has come to you is the resurrection power. And then we said last week that that resurrection power takes you to a, a realm of discipleship, following the one who gave it to you, to learn at of his feet, to understand his ways, and so that you can live life the way he intends it for you. And then this week, we are looking at working with Jesus, which is our session three. Working with Jesus. He called us to be disciples so that we can be workers with him. We are not just being discipled 
so that we can know him and know about him and talk about him for the sake of talking, but so that we can also walk with him in this great redemption plan that he has for mankind. And then next week, by the grace of God, we'll end this series on the mystery of Christ's return, which is something every believer must have in your thoughts, in your life, in your ways, every day, always thinking about the return of Christ. So that's what we're going to deal with next week. And um, these messages are all online now. They are on our YouTube page, and they are also on our audio channels. So please make sure you uh, avail yourself of them. By the way, we have messages on podcasts. We have messages on podcasts, whether on the iOS platform or the Android platform. You just need to look for LifeGate Outreach Center, and you will be able to have access to all those messages, and um, you can download them. These are very useful resources that when you avail yourself, it allows you to have uh, more depth into what you are learning. Praise the Lord. We have established so much that eternal life is not about a life that is to come later on. I believe everybody here should understand that by now. It's not about a life in the, in the after I die, that I, I will live life. I'm born again, but I will live like life normally, and then when I die, I will start living eternal life. Believe me, that was the understanding, and some people still have that understanding. They will say, when we get to eternal life, you're already in eternal <laughs> The Bible says, when you believe, you shall have. It didn't say that when you believe, later on, after you die, then you will have. As soon as you believe, you have. Praise the Lord. I wouldn't bore you today. Now, I would need you to write today because I'm going to talk fairly quickly. I'll try to take my time. But honestly, if I'm to talk very gently and just go through everything, I wouldn't have enough time today. So I want to believe God that we can make the most of time. But I would like you to write down some scriptures. You see... The believer generation we have must understand that we cannot move away from deep understanding of scripture. If you want to stand, if you want this Christianity to mean anything to you, you have to be studious. This morning my wife and I were talking and she was telling me that if you are a singer, for example, the more scriptures you know, the easier it will be for you to, of course, be inspired to, 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 to write new songs and also to follow songs. Have you noticed that? When you, when you are trying to learn a song, if you know the scripture that it was kind of built upon, as soon as you are learning it, the scripture connects with you. And then you yourself will start to see that the lyrics are automatically generating from your inside and connecting to the new song. Then before you know it, you know it. And even to be inspired to write a song, the Holy Spirit comes and broods over certain scriptures and links them together. And then you find yourself having a new song. Praise the Lord. The Christian life is really all about understanding the word of God. Anything that wants to make you not go deep into learning the scripture, you have to fight against it because it limits what you can do. As a practicing engineer, I can tell you that the more of regulations and laws and codes that I know that I've internalized over the three decades that I've practiced by God's grace, the easier it is for me many times not to have to refer to references to solve problems. But when you don't know it, you struggle. But if you know that this is a simple law, then there's a regulation about it. As soon as you see the problem, it, it just automatically deploys. That's how it happens in the spirit as well. So I've given you scriptures like Romans 3.23. The Bible says, for all have seen, falling short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That is where we establish that even though sin should have left to every, led to everybody's death, 
the eternal life is given as a rescue by God through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And then we established, of course, John 3.16, we all know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Anyone that believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. So faith in God gives us access to believing and to having eternal life. And then we talk about John 10.10. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it what? More abundantly. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's Jesus speaking. John 17.3, we always, we've quoted these scriptures every part of this series, and I told you you are going to hear them throughout because they form the basis for us. John 17.3 says, and this is eternal life, not one of the ways to eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Again, write this down, 1 John 5.11, the Bible says, and this eternal life is in his Son. This eternal life is in his son. 1 John 5, 11. You don't need to project that. It's in his son. So the, the Bible does not mince words about what eternal life is and how you get eternal life. And 1 John 5, 12, the next verse says, and then this is how it is, that he who has the son has life, has that eternal life. He who does not have the son does not have eternal life. Which corroborates what John 3.17 says, that he who accepts him is, is saved, but he who does not accept is condemned already. So we, we base our faith on these scriptures, and they help us to stand because it gives you an assurance. When you have crossed, when you are part of a, a, a kingdom, you are very confident. You cannot be part of this kingdom and be somebody who doubts your your, 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 your nationality, as it were, or your citizenship, much more. You cannot doubt your citizenship. The Bible says we are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says we are citizens of heaven. But you cannot doubt your citizenship if you are confident in knowing who you are. There was a time many years ago, in the year 2012, I traveled to the country of Zambia with my friend Lokomona, John Lokomona. And... Um, I was coming back to the country. I think I flew KLM, so it was supposed to be a flight from Lusaka to Amsterdam and back to Birmingham. And um, everything was going okay. We had a nice time, did some seminars and stuff like that. Four days, lovely country. I enjoyed my time there, to cut the long story short. I like their steak. I won't forget their steak. They had very, very good steak they prepared. Natural, very succulent. Okay, let me stop there. Now, the reality is that when I got to the airport, this young girl, about 27 or something, she was an immigration officer, looks at my passport and says, sir, I must say to you that I, I, um, uh, I will need to check out this passport. I said, which passport? He said, the passport you... <laughs> I, said, my, I said, my passport. <laughs> that was my, my, my British passport. I said, my passport. I said, okay. I said, is there anything wrong with it? Is he not reading? The machine not reading it? I said, he, she said, no, that I just need to check it out. That. And he called the senior officer... And then they brought out one box like that. I don't, today I don't know what that is, you know. I say which, whether it's from colonial era. I don't <laughs> the thing, I don't know what it is. They, they, they put it under it, they brought it out, they said there's something wrong with it. I say, this box, I don't think it can understand this kind of passport. <laughs> I was trying to be nice because I know there's something wrong with my passport. I've used it for years at that point. This passport that you are looking at has been to America, been to Canada, been if it is Lusaka, that somebody will come and tell me with all due respect 
then something must be wrong somewhere. <laughs> you are just confident. I didn't need to fidget. I didn't need to worry because I knew I was not carrying a fake. Now, if I had gotten my passport in one place like that, I would not mention the name. <laughs> if that was where they issued the passport to me, I would have been shaking. <laughs> So it's the same thing about this kingdom. The devil cannot harass you when you are a child of God. You know you are born again. You know that you are a heaven citizen. This is eternal life because you know Jesus Christ, the son of God whom he has sent. So we are looking at working with Jesus today and that is our theme. You see, we are called into two things after we give our lives to Christ. Our calling is to, somebody says, is to ambassadorship and to workmanship. Those two things, they, they, they are very close, but there is a similar, there is a, there is, there are similarities, but there is also distinctive functions that they are, we are meant to perform. As ambassadors, just like ambassadors of nations, we represent Christ here on earth. Now that he has gone back to prepare a place for us, we represent him here on earth. But as workers, we are actually doing the same things we should be doing the same things that he was doing when he was on earth physically. He has left us to be doing those things. That's what he said to us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that now you will be my witnesses. You will go on saying those things that I was saying to people while I was here on earth. But at the same time, you carry my persona. You carry the representation of heaven. You let the earthly people, you are the ones that will let the earthly people taste of the heavenly. You should be the ones. That is why when you walk into any ambassador's office anywhere in this world, any ambassador, the moment you walk into his office, for a brief moment, it's like you are in the country of that ambassador. Everything around you, the picture of his president, the flag, the kind of music that's playing, everything just speaks. Even though you, are, you know that you are not in that country, but because you are in the ambassador's domain, you are in the domain of that country as a microcosm within where you live. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. He said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, somebody say he has given me the ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry that we have been given. Everybody is called into that ministry. When people say, ah, pastor, you see the thing is I'm not called into ministry. What, which ministry are you not called into? You may not be called into pulpit ministry or any kind of fivefold ministry, but you are called into a ministry of reconciliation. And that's what we are all called into. The, the apostleship, pastor, administration, teaching, all those things, table, ministry, which we have talked about and we've taught about, all those things are just some minute, distinct administrative uh, dispositions that we all have to demonstrate as part of the overall ministry of reconciliation. Everybody is called into it. The Bible says he has given us the ministry, not some of us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says that it is that that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was in Christ in this world reconciling his world to himself. He wasn't looking at their trespasses, but now has committed to us no more a ministry but that same word of reconciliation. 
There is a ministry of reconciliation, which is the office, and then there is the word of reconciliation, which is the tool. We must continue to carry the two every time. We must remember we have the ministry, and we have also been given the word of reconciliation. And what is that word? Verse 20. He said, now then, we are the ambassadors. Verse 20, thank you. For Christ, as though he were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be what? Reconciled to God. You've been reconciled. I've been reconciled. Thank God for that. Now our duty is that we are in that ministry of reconciliation, and our duty is to keep telling everyone, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Time is going. Be reconciled. I wrote something on my social media, on my Facebook page, and I think Instagram in the early, early last week, about as God inspired me on reconciliation. I said, boys, become men and fathers. And then they become grands and great-grands, as grandpas and great-grandpas. Say, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to your maker early so that you can continue to make the relevant impact in every stage of life. Be reconciled to God. Avoid frivolities. Avoid strife. Avoid things that are time-wasting, vain competition. Avoid those things. And on a daily basis, keep drawing on grace to keep fulfilling destiny. Because as you sleep and wake up, time has gone. Keep drawing on grace to fulfill destiny until you expire. Because everybody will expire one day. When you manufacture a product, you put an expiry date on it. Anybody that wants to use it after that time, they are, they are running the risk. <laughs> Especially if it's food. <laughs> there is an expiry date for everyone. There is a date that we will leave this world. The world buried Prince Philip yesterday, the Duke of Edinburgh. And all kinds of things were remembered about him. But you know, somebody who had such an illustrious naval career in the days after the Second World War, when the whole world was really shaken, took so much effort to give the Royal Navy a stamp today. And 70 years later, it's still being talked about. Because you feel a thrust of destiny on you. You feel a thrust of something that should make you make an impact. And you live it every day. When he was to marry the queen, they said, you know, you are going to be a subordinate now. And they understood that arrangement. And she, he walked in it till the very last day of his life. It is not about how you are positioned. It is how you understand what God has put you into and what you ought to be doing with it. There are many, many CEOs today that, that are not known. Not known at all in the business world. And there are many, many managers or managing directors under CEOs that are more influential than many CEOs. There are many associate pastors today making more rounds than many first pastors, senior pastors in many ministries. Many. Many. It's not about a title. People just carry title. Ministry, title. And then that is it. They are running with title. In my home country, in the year 1983, we had, for the first time, things have happened in, this is Nigeria now, things have happened in that country. Some of you may be shocked to hear this. We had a minister without portfolio in 1983. 
Some of you would not know this. If you are old, if you are about my age, you would know. It was the first time in life that, and in any country, that a minister was appointed, and they asked the president, they said, what is this? He said, he's without portfolio. He's just my minister. <laughs> that shows corruption in politics and in governance. <laughs> what is his work? No work. So the man was eat all the money. <laughs> he was just enjoying all the money that was coming to him. When you don't have portfolio, you will, you will cause problems. Every one of us has a ministry of reconciliation. Every day, as time goes by, let us walk in the fullness of the understanding that we are losing time and we have to keep shouting to others, be reconciled to God. This is what it means by walking for Christ. So as ambassadors, we represent him. As workmanship or people called to work with him, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are, we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are not a biological accident. You are not. We are going to start a series very shortly about the mystery of godliness. He said Christ was manifested in the flesh and will take one whole week to understand what it means that you are also manifested in the flesh for a purpose. One whole week we'll dedicate to it for that series. Because many people always jump to the being born again as the crucial thing. That is true. But you see, you can, it is only one who manifested in the flesh. That, that's why they call it born again. You have to be born first. Let me not jump into that. But you know, <laughs> the key thing is that we need to understand that there is a place that God has beforehand. So when your parents were bringing you forth, some cases you hear stories like, we didn't plan for you, including the man you are looking at. My both parents told me that they had given up on children. <laughs> they said they didn't plan for me. I still harass them till today. Now you see now. <laughs> because it's only me and my sister that remains. <laughs> I say, if God did not send me now, you would have had only one more child left. They would be laughing at me. But the reality is that God knows. They say, we didn't plan for you. I say, well, I'm here. <laughs> Hallelujah. They may think that they are doing something and they are doing family planning and all. And I'm, I say to you, please, do those things as much as God gives you wisdom. But I want you to know any child that must be born will be born. <laughs> Give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Any child that must be born into this world will be born. Do whatever you like. You will just say, ah, what happened? That is all you can say. <laughs> but I want you to know that you are not a biological accident. You are his workmanship created. Can I have it back on, please? Ephesians 2.10. Created. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So when you got born again, what happened is that there was now a relaunch, a rebirth of yourself, your person, now to be deployed in this special ministry of reconciliation. He has planned it beforehand. All you need to do now is to walk in them. As for walking in this kingdom, we must follow the godly examples laid by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 5, 17, Jesus said, My Father has been walking until now, and I have been walking. They are workers. God the Father is not a lazy God. He's a worker. The first thing we read about him in scripture is work. In the beginning, he did what? That's work. That's work. Serious work. You can't create anything if you are a lazy man or woman. In the beginning, God 
created. He thought about it, spoke it into being, made it meticulously planned to deliver what he wanted. He created the heavens and the earth. Every one of us must understand. Jesus said, my father has been working until now, and I have also now been what? Been working. I still work. Acts 10, 38, the Bible says, this is one of the scriptures you should write. We'll be going over it many times today. God anointed him, and he went about doing good. He went about walking. We must understand this. The Holy Spirit is walking. God the Father is walking. Jesus is walking, and the Holy Spirit is walking. We must keep walking. The reason why believers are getting tired today is that many people are not walking. They are walking, but they are not working. They are walking, they are being discipled, they attend every meeting, they learn and learn and learn. But you see, the place of growth is much more in the walking. The disciples didn't know that they could cast out demons until Luke 10 when he sent them out two by two. That was why they came back and they were rejoicing. Say, ha, the demons were subject to us in your name. And then he said, these are base things. The key thing is that your names are written in the book of life. <laughs> but you see, they didn't know. While they were all being discipled following, they were not. So when he saw that these people now have been learning and learning, now go and walk. Go and do it. Stay two by two so that you can encourage each other, support each other. And stay two by two. Say when they went, the Bible says all the demons were subject to them in the name of Christ. And then they came back. Because it is in a place of work that you know what God has put inside you. This world system, even the world system rewards work. Everybody asking, oh, my pay, my this. Do you know something? If you can contribute more, you will get more. And I know that there is a lot of problem. Right? There are people who play politics with positions and things. I'm aware of that. But I tell you, nobody can box in anyone who is a true contributor to advancement. If you, have, if you are contributing value, you will automatically be rewarded, either directly by the people who should do it or by other people that will be valuing that work that you are doing. Every one of us must understand, if it works in the world system, then we must know that even in the kingdom, we are expected to be workers. Kingdom work is time-bound. I always say this, we always think we have a lot of time, but we don't. We don't. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Another series we'll go through later in the year, just looking at time management to fulfill purpose. But this is scripture is key. To everything there is a season. This is a phase of life. And I want you to know that when you are going through a phase of life, you don't really know what God is preparing you for. Every season prepares you for the next. How you engage with this is, this is why when I see people who procrastinate and say, I will do it tomorrow, I will do it when I have this money, I will do it when I have that, I see people who will not do things. Because the more you think it is about what you are going to do tomorrow, the more you will find yourself not equipping yourself and developing yourself today. When you are going through it, and you are applying yourself to it, you don't know that God is preparing, he may be stretching you, but you don't know that God is preparing you for higher things. Those of you who pray in the morning, five to six, you heard me say one of these mornings, I think it was just last week, 
how I was reminded of when I used to sit with my fellow secondary school mates as a teenager, about the same time, about 40 years ago, 30-something years ago now, about the same time, 5 a.m., we would go to the dining hall. We didn't have, there was no internet then. <laughs> what is internet? <laughs> we gathered in the dining hall. In fact, there was only one radio on the school campus, one radio, one big box radio like this. So every week, they move it from dormitory to dormitory. If your house had it this time, you enjoy it. Next week, it's going on rotor to the next. <laughs> That's how we used to share the radio. Don't look at me like that. It's the same school Bishop Oedepo went, so don't, <laughs> so don't think I went to one kind of bad school like that. <laughs> I didn't meet him there, of course, but then that's the school he went. He's, an, he's the same old boy as well. But this is the kind of school. But we will go to the dining hall in the morning, and we will be meeting there. Let the words of my heart. That song, you know what we're singing? And the vegetation of my heart. Ah, one day, I say, I call my friend, I say, this vegetation that we have been, <laughs> what is this vegetation in our heart? <laughs> my friend said to me, he said, what's your problem? <laughs> I say, I don't understand. Is it tree that is growing inside? He said, just sing it now. Ah, so, me too, I continue. Let the words of my mouth and the vegetation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh Lord. And we will not get spiritual. Oh Lord, God will just be looking at us. <laughs> but he saw the innocence in our heart. Until one teacher came one day, he was invited to come and share with us. And then we were singing the same song. He said, hey, stop, what are you saying? <laughs> Then he opened the psalm and showed us. He said, this is what you should have known first. If you know this word, you will know this song. Because it's a psalm. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And we sing songs like that. He's coming back again. My Lord is coming back again. He went away and promised that he's coming back again. He's coming back again. My Lord is coming back again. Oh, glory, hallelujah. He's coming back again. That was the kind of songs we were singing then. We were not singing, mm, <laughs> those were the songs that gave us foundation many of us are still in the same whatsapp group today 36 years after and we still remember these stories one of them is an interpreter for he came here about two years ago Peter, pastor Peter. about three years ago he just came into the country some of you will remember one workers training i said my classmate came and he just shared with us because we didn't plan it so it was with the workers he, he's the main interpreter for Pastor Adeboye today, uh, E.A. Adeboye. So if you know, if you follow Pastor E.A. Adeboye, anybody that you see interpreting for him, if he has to preach to a Yoruba audience, is my classmate, Peter. And, you know, Peter was one of our leaders then. And we remember those days just like yesterday. But today, Peter's, two, two, two of Peter's children are doctors. One is a doctor, one is an engineer. Pastors. Because Peter is fairly older than me. But the reality is that that is how quickly time has gone. Don't think you will be 30 forever. That mirror is deceiving you. <laughs> Mirrors deceive our generation. Because some of us, what we have been seeing since 19... 19- <laughs> 
what we have been seeing in that is that mirror since 1980 is what we are still seeing today. So if you don't tell yourself, this thing, you are a liar. <laughs> I'm older than this. <laughs> we are in a generation now where many people will look young for a long time. Because there is better food, there is better understanding, there are better things. We have access to more things. If we plan our lives very well, you will see some very soon, you will see a 70-year-old man, you will think he's 40. <laughs> That's a new 40, as they say. So, but that doesn't still reduce the age. <laughs> that you are looking at it doesn't mean you are it. <laughs> Remind yourself every day time is going. The Bible says Jesus said in John 9.10, I must walk the walks of 9.4, John 9.4, I must walk the walks of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can walk. Now, when I give you stories like what we did in secondary school and all, it doesn't mean we have been so perfect all along. Some of us fell by the wayside, picked ourselves up again. Some fell and fell. Honestly, we are still praying for them to come back. <laughs> that, that is the life. But the reality is that the more you give yourself a foundation today, the more you give yourself a chance for tomorrow. If I have not been training myself since those days, or those days I told you, like last week, when I used to wake up first in Bilston, then here in Warsaw, and I would drive all the way to Coventry, still attend prayer meetings in the morning with elders in Wolverhampton, and then drive to Coventry and come back and attend evening service, pick my children with their uniform, with the person who is taking care of them, drive straight back to church for 6.30 or 7 o'clock service. And did that and did that. If I did not train myself, I was not planning to be a pastor. I was not doing it because I'm planning to be a, no. I just saw opportunity to serve. This is kingdom work. Let's get involved. I didn't know God was putting, that is why today a lot of things look like child's play to me. To sit down and be doing Zoom now, it's like I'm playing. It's just like I'm playing. That's why you see me there almost every day. I say, oh, where does this one get strength? Because I was doing much harder. Much harder many years before. What I'm trying to say to you, brethren, is that time waits for no one. We must walk the walk of him who sent us while it is day. The night is coming when no one can walk. Very quickly, I want to tell you four things from the scripture we read. Pastor Moses led us earlier on in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 to 10. I'll pick some scriptures there, and this is where I need you to write very quickly because we will be going through some of those scriptures in more details in the course of the week. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. This is the first point. For us to be able to do this work effectively, we must rely on the grace of God. Number, point number one. We must rely on the grace of God. Verse 1. He said, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Many of us receive the grace to get born again. But what are we doing after we are now born again? What are we using the grace to do? The grace of God brings us to Christ and the grace of God will take, will walk, will help us to walk together with him to see him again. The grace of God, don't receive it in vain. Philippians 4.13, you need to write that down. You know it anyway. He said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You will be tired if you want to walk without God's grace. You want to serve in this kingdom? There is, a, there is an enemy that is against the church. His name is Satan. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is set against everyone who names the name of the Lord and has been called into this ministry. Every one of us must realize that it is the grace of God that will keep giving us victory over him. 
Depend on the grace of God. Wake up every day. Pray for the grace of God. Ask for the grace of God. When you say by the grace of God, mean it. Don't make it a cliche. When you say, I will be at that meeting by the grace of God. Pray it from your heart. Don't say it as something to just end the statement. How will I be there by the grace of God? No, 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 no. Say, I will be there by the grace of God. Then you commit to walking with that grace to be strengthened, to have everything fall in place. You see, when you say the grace of God, it doesn't just strengthen you. It also orchestrates all the things that you cannot control. That's what grace does. Grace goes beyond borders, goes to places you could not reach, and then it helps you to solve problems that you could never have solved. So number one is we must rely on the grace of God. Number two, excuse me, we must live devoid of offenses and maintain focus on our assignments at all times. We must live devoid of offenses. Don't cause offense and don't be easily offended. We must live devoid of offenses and maintain focus on our assignments at all times. Verse 3 tells us this. We're going to read verse 3, 4, and 5. But verse 3 says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. A lot of people today are living highly offended. Highly offended. Second Corinthians 6, I'm in verse 3 now. Go to verse 3, sorry, verse 3. Verse 3, thank you. We give no offenses in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. In my few years of ministry life and church life, I can tell you that offense is one of the greatest problems that has caused church split, people leaving churches, people having issues with one another, people having issues with leaders, leaders having issues. It's offense, offense, offense. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 7, write that down. He said, in this world, offenses will come. You and I cannot control the coming of offenses. He said, but what to that man through whom they come? What we can control is making sure that we are not, be, we are not conduits of offense. There is only one offender. The source of offense is the devil. But anyone he finds ready per time is easily used as a vessel, whoever they are. So you make up your mind that you will not be a channel of offense. If you want to serve well in this, he said we give no offense in anything. And then also determine that you will not be easily offended. We have too many light, thin-skinned, thin-skinned Christians in our generation. Everything touches them. Everything. If you say hello and you don't sound in a particular way, they will read meaning to it. We say hello. They say, ah, last week. He said hello. <laughs> but today, he said hello. There is a problem. <laughs> and they're offended. <laughs> I'm telling you. I might be trivializing this, but so many very mundane things. You see pastors who should be concentrating on time to study and to, to look into strategy for church growth and empowering people and helping people to grow spiritually, helping people to develop in their vocations so that they can be more empowered to do the things of God. Week in, week out, they are solving problems that are unimportant. What is the problem between these two people? Last week, when we were at the function, this sister came. He gave everybody rice. And all their rice had meat. When she gave me my own, there was no meat. 
Say, but are you sure? He said, yes. He, this is not the first time, Pastor. She's been doing it all. <laughs> Every time, my own, she will bring it without me. She hates me. That one will say, I didn't know. Say, ah, you know, you know. And then they will do part two of that talk again next Sunday. And then you wonder why the church of God is not advancing the way it ought to advance. Because we are operating at levels that are very mundane, frivolities, things that are unimportant. We must not be a people who give in to offense. We must maintain focus. Jesus said in Luke 7, 23, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. That's Luke 7, 23. This was after John the Baptist, remember his story? When John the Baptist was demonstrating elements of offense in God. When he said, are you the one or should we look for another? We just talked about that a few weeks ago. And at the end, Jesus said, go and show him all the miracles you saw now. But at the same time, blessed is he who is not offended in me. A lot of people are offended in God. God, I've been serving you all this while. Look at that person that got born again just last year. Now their life is this, is that, is this, is that. And they don't know that God has a plan for everybody. The most foolish thing you can do, I've said this many times, the most foolish thing you can do for yourself is to compare yourself with somebody else. Don't compare yourself. Why are you comparing yourself? Were you born the same? Even the twins born the same day, they don't compare themselves with one another. It's foolishness. I've seen where twins are born virtually a few seconds apart, but one is just completely go-getter. The other one, you have to jack him up for everything. <laughs> Two different people, opposite completely. That's God. It doesn't make the other one a bad person. It's just who he is. It's just who he is. Don't compare yourself with anybody under any guise so that you will not be offended in God. And make sure that you don't become a source of offense. Before you say something to your brother or sister, think about it. Weigh what you want to say to your spouse to your children, weigh it very well because what can happen is that you may cause offense and it may cause a problem in them being able to serve God effectively. Whilst it shouldn't, but because you have allowed it, it gives a potential for it to, so that we understand. Let us live devoid of offense and maintain focus all time. Because we have a ministry to defend. Verse 4 tells us, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. He said, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Verse 5 says, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. We keep remembering that we are ministers. We are not serving God because of what we will get. We are not serving God because it is easy. We are not serving God because we have nothing else to do. We are not serving God because, oh, we feel that there is something that, you know, uh, everything is working for us. This is another thing. When believers are serving and they are blessed, the things are going well, you will see them serving. But then when something just happens out of the everywhere, what the Bible calls tumults, those kind of upheavals, unexpected disruptions to life process, then you see a waning in service. Now, I'm not trivializing any kind of tribulation or trial we go through. No, but the Bible says we have a ministry. We have a ministry. We stay committed to that ministry. If God cannot take care of that problem, then let it be there. 
until you resolve to things like that. I have told you that everybody who said, if I perish, I perish, or we will not bow. Did they die at the end of the day? God made sure that they didn't die. Of course, the ones that he wanted to call home, like Stephen, he called them home. But in many cases, majority of the cases, people like Paul, who gave themselves up ready to be stoned to death, they stoned him and stoned him and stoned him. He himself thought he had died until he woke up. He saw that he hadn't died. Then he shook himself and went to the next town. <laughs> he continued. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the, 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 there's nothing to be afraid of. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow because, you know, the God who we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we have a believer generation that give ultimatum to God. Lord, if I'm not married by this year, forget it. As if you are doing him a favor by, by remaining a Christian. <laughs> if I'm not married by 30, forget, I'm gone. God say, really, my daughter? Say, yeah. Yeah, Lord. <laughs> Thank God for his mercies. Thank God for his mercies. I told you we should be grateful to God that he doesn't answer all our prayers. Especially the one where we pray that he should kill our enemy. Because if God was to be killing people's enemy, many people would have died. Because they are their own number one enemy. <laughs> They are their own number one enemy. He will start with them first. Then they will get to heaven and say, Ah, God, why did you kill me now? He said, you asked me to kill your enemies, and I know that you are top on the list. <laughs> In fact, you are the only enemy you have. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number three, we must walk, we must do our work by engaging godly virtues. There is a lot here in Matthew in, in 2 Corinthians 6, from verse 6 to verse 8a. Godly virtues, and I'll be taking them one by one very quickly. Purity, write down Proverbs 14, 34, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Purity, Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to many people. A worker with God must be continually eschewing himself of evil doings. He must be working conscientiously against sin. He must not enjoy living in sin, thinking about sin, doing sinful things. It must not. If you want, you must. He said, by purity. We must do this work by purity. Second Timothy 2, 1.19, which I said you should write down. He said, nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord stands sure. And the Lord knows those who are his. Let anyone that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let them not continue to like to do evil. You choose your friends intentionally. You choose your ways intentionally. You do the things that you do intentionally, making sure that you are departing consistently from iniquity. And you draw the grace of God to help you. Say, so by knowledge, we know John 8, 32, the Bible says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Again, Isaiah 33, 6 says, wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your time. The more you know God, the more you are assured of that which he has provided for you. I humbly submit to you that by the grace of God for many years, part of the reason why I am never moved by what people say or don't say or do or don't do is because by the special grace of God, I know the love that my Father in heaven has for me. He showed me. He showed me the love that I have for my biological father. He showed me that if you can see so tangibly that this man loves you, it's the same way you can see that I love you. So I am settled in the love of God for me. You should be settled in the love of God for you. 
You know it and you live in it. It gives you stability for your time. It doesn't make you arrogant, but it makes you stable. You are not wishy-washy because you are not looking for the validation of people. If you live by the validation of men, the day it does not exist, you will have nothing to hold. And the same men who said, Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday, were the same one who shouted, crucify him on Friday. So if Jesus was doing all his ministry because of the song they sang on Sunday, <laughs> where is his hope on Friday now? <laughs> if all his strength was from that song that they were singing on, on Sunday. I'm not saying we should not compliment and uh, commend each other. We should. As a matter of course, we should. But don't let it know for people who oh, they did not appreciate me. They did not do this. Nobody recognized me. Is God recognizing you? I'm not saying we should not recognize each other. But you know something? The most important thing for you is that God recognizes you. What is your benefit if the whole world recognizes you and God does not recognize you? What have you gained? Absolutely nothing. Strive for God's recognition. Strive for God's acknowledgement. And watch God do things in your life in Jesus' name. He said, by long suffering and by kindness, by long suffering and kindness, write down Colossians 3.12. He said, put on like a garment. Put on tender mercies. Put on loving kindness. I like that verse. He said, put on humility. The same way you put on your garments to do your work. Those of you that are in certain sectors, you know that you, you put on certain garments to do your work effectively. To make you work safely and to make you work effectively. You put on, that is how every worker in this ministry of reconciliation must be putting on these garments. You put on humility every day. The same way you wake up in the morning and dress yourself. You put on tender mercies. You put on loving kindness. You put on kindness. Hallelujah. You put on righteousness. He said, put on, read it, Colossians 3.12, when you have time. Put them all on. Because you need them to clothe you, to protect you. He said, by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. The same thing, the Holy Spirit. By sincere love. Galatians 5.6 tells us that it is about love. Read Galatians 5.6. Note Galatians 5.6. Then let's go quickly go to verse 7. He said, John, uh, the, the word of truth. John 8.32, the word of truth. I'm giving you some scriptures that you can go back and refer to to see why these things are important uh, uh, aspects, uh, virtues that we must have in order to be able to work effectively for God. By the power of God. Philippians 2.13 says it is his power that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There is one thing for you to be able to will to do. There's another thing for you to actually be able to do it. You need the power to help you do both. You cannot do it if you don't will it in the first instance. But you cannot do it ultimately, even if you will it without the power. You need the power to help you do it. The serving God and committed to being committed to the things of God is not something that... Uh, uh, you know, is, is a gift or some kind of special grace on certain people. People develop themselves in it. You train in it. Have you ever seen an athlete? Maybe they interviewed those days, a couple of years now, they've been interviewed who's in Bolt, and they say, you know, how did you become this? They say, ah, I was just, I just woke up one day, I went to the track, and I just found that I had a gift. <laughs> no, the gift may be there, but he worked it very well. He ran against gravity on hills many times. 
He did many things that ordinary people would not do to be able to run the way ordinary people would not be able to run. So we have a generation that just has this imagination that it is better for some. That's why they're able to do it. They told oh, some people have more grace. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. The grace of God has appeared to what? All men. It is how you embrace it that makes the difference. It's the value you place on it that makes the difference. If you place value on grace and you tap into it every day, you find yourself doing more for God, doing more for God. We are a busy generation. Things will get busier. Things will get tighter. Economies will be reshaped. Of course, are being reshaped as we speak. Oil is finding its way out of the big player scene. Tech is coming in, and so many things are happening, and now we're having digital currencies, and so many things that will disrupt everything we have known before now. So there will be pressures here and there. It's not a negative prophecy. It is for us to know that it is nothing new. It is nothing new. But as believers, our sure foundation is in knowing God for who he is, and then in all that disruption, he continues to make a way for those he has called. Hallelujah. He said that in verse 7 now, verse 7. He said, by the word of truth, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. We know that this talks about the armor of God. He said, put on the whole armor of God. One of it is the breastplate of righteousness, but we have the belt of truth. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the shield of faith. We have the gospel that ensures our feet. We have all those things and then the sword of the spirit. But we must all understand that we have to put on the whole armor of God. Every day. He said, put it on, on the right hand and on the left. And then in verse 8, beginning, verse 8a, he said, by honor and dishonor, by honor and dishonor, put it on, by honor and dishonor. Every one of us must understand that there is a place of honor and dishonor that we have to continue to know that we make ourselves honorable as we walk. I've quoted 2 Timothy 1, before now, Second Timothy 2, before now, and verse 19. Now verse 20, say, but that in a great house there are many vessels, some made of gold, some made of silver, some of wood, some of clay, some to honor, some to dishonor. Verse 21 says, Second Timothy 2, 21 says, but if any man should purge himself from these, you go back to verse 19 to understand what that is, iniquities and things that are dishonoring. If you purge yourself from this, he said you will be a vessel unto honor, made for every good work, perfected by God, made for every good work. You purge yourself to be a vessel of honor. Nobody takes that honor unto himself. You walk it and let the Holy Spirit place it on you. The Bible says, even by evil report and by good report. We have to understand that as long as we are in this world, we will be confronted with evil report and good report simultaneously every time. Evil report, good report. As a pastor, I've lived like this for for years, even before coming into this assignment, dealing with people. One moment the phone is ringing, you are celebrating. Oh, praise God. It has come true. God is faithful. You mean that breakthrough at last? Oh, Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Then 10 minutes later, another brother, beloved brother, beloved sister rings. I say, Pastor, oh, this is it. And then you go from that emotional high. <laughs> you come back and stay where they are, where the devil has dragged them to. You go and join them there. 
You say, brother, it will be well. It will be well. The Lord is your strength. And then you start to encourage them again. Because there will always be evil report and bad report. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 1, whose report will we believe? You have to keep trusting that God is in charge of everything that concerns you. Don't let every negative situation of life make you think that something is wrong with you. Don't let the devil ever convince you that he has you at a place where God cannot take you out of. Even if you cause the problem by yourself. But please, don't cause any problem for yourself. Because there's no need. If you cause problem for yourself, you're adding to the list of all the ones that the devil has caused for you anyway. So don't do it. But the reality is that never let any situation beat you down to the point where you don't feel like working for God. Never. Never. On May the 7th, by the grace of God, this year, it will be exactly 29 years that I set my eyes on this, my wife, for the first time and that she saw me. 29 years. And we've been best of friends ever since that very day. That very day. Three days after that, God told me that you have found yourself a friend for life. I said, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not interested in marrying anybody now because I've just been jilted by somebody that I thought was going to be my wife. Somebody that when I'm preaching, she'll be saying, just as I am without one plea. And I'll say, sing it, sister. Sing it, sister. <laughs> sing it to them now. Sing it. That was all my whole ambition for wanting to marry that lady. <laughs> so God saw that this guy, he doesn't know anything. He thinks he knows everything. I was only 22. You can't blame me. So God took her away. Allow her to sing out of my life by herself. <laughs> so when I saw my wife, I was not interested in talking to another sister. No, if that sister could vanish like that, I don't want another one to vanish before rapture. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. The Holy Spirit said to me, you have found yourself a friend for life. And then I started to listen more. And then I found that there's no point. May 10. Please don't go and do this, young people, if you are not convinced by God. May 7, we met. May 10, I told her I want to marry you. <laughs> and thank God, God spoke to her as well. <laughs> And we have been on that journey by the grace of God till today. But you see, you can ask her anytime privately. I give you permission. If in 30 years, she met me as a student, postgraduate student on the campus with only one briefcase as my asset. That briefcase, if you steal it, you have stolen my whole. <laughs> it, was for, it cost me in 1990, it cost me 400 naira. That time, the salary, the wages of a youth copper, which I just finished, was 250. Naira a month. So to put it in context. So is that under an asset? Something that costs more than your monthly salary is an asset. Anyway, that was all she met me with. But whether in that condition and in every way God has been taking us through journey of life, she's never had to encourage me one day. I'm not saying that I am strong or I'm anything. I'm just telling you how you can determine. She's never had to encourage me and say, Brother Dave, and I've, with her, we've been through a lot. Church people, ah, I can write books <laughs> that we've seen in 30 years. We can write books, volumes, with many, many editions. <laughs> but not once, sometimes when I'm treated like a piece of rag by the people I loved, people I served, people I did everything, she'll still see me carry my Bible the next Sunday. Let's go off to church. Something must be driving you. 
<laughs> that is beyond you. Don't stay on that thing that you think you have as power. Rely on the power of God Almighty. Hallelujah. Every time remember that you are a vessel unto honor. Finally, verse 4, it says in verse 8b, it says, as deceivers, yet true. At times they call you a deceiver. Even Jesus, they called him the prince of Beelzebub, that he was using Beelzebub. So as deceivers, Saul was already saved. They thought he was still a deceiver. Even believers thought he was a deceiver. But you are true. I say you are true. Don't let anybody tell you. You don't look it. That which kind of ministry do you think you have? You that we used to know your history. You that we used to know this. There are people who will never ever separate your history from you. And don't try to convince them to. <laughs> you are wasting time trying to convince somebody who can never see you as the son of carpenter. And as the savior. Don't try to convince them that I'm now the savior. I'm now the savior. No, no. Did you see Jesus do that? They say, are you not carpenter's son? Carpenter's son. You just walk away and go to the next place where they are ready to receive. <laughs> you keep hearing them say, you, you that we know. Even you, even you. <laughs> I say, ah, you too. Those are lies. They call them deceivers, but we know we are true. Hallelujah. Verse 9 says, as unknown, yet we are well known. Hmm. As dying and behold, we live chastened and yet we are not killed. As sorrowful, verse 10, yet we are always rejoicing. As poor, yet we make many rich. What this means is that, you see, people say you cannot give what you don't have and it's very true. But the reality is that you can give something that God puts on your inside for somebody else. It is very possible in this kingdom. God puts it on your inside. I have seen many people. I, I was listening to uh, 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 a great servant of God yesterday, Reverend George Adeboe of Nigeria, Rema Chapel. He was one of my pastors. He was a pastor I stood under in the late 80s when I was on campus. Loved his ministry. They used to call him Mobile Bible. Could quote scriptures a lot. Very sound man. But do you know that some of you know Sam Adeemi of Nigeria, uh, uh, Dominion? What's his Desta, that's it. Desta, Desta Christian Center. Very, very popular, very blessed servant of God. Samadhi Emi and Victor Adeemi are brothers. They trained under Reverend George. I know when Samadhi Emi used to, Victor Adeemi used to do Rema Chapel announcements. Adeemi pastors in, Victor pastors in Ibadan now. Adeemi is in Lagos. Sam is in Lagos with thousands and thousands of people they pastor. Now, many people will not even know that those men trained under. Reverend George, because Reverend George is doing very well, but he has a fairly modest ministry now. But a lot of the anointing and a lot of what came into those people that impacted them and sparked the fire on their inside that went on to do tens of time much more than their spiritual father did came, from, came through him. Do you understand where I'm going, coming from? And everybody's happy today. Everybody's contented. They work together. They do things together. What I'm trying to say is that it is not you that determines, it's not me that determines what you can become. I don't determine what you can become. God does. You don't determine what I can become. God does. We just need to know how to humble ourselves to appreciate what God is doing with us per time so that we can become all things that God wants us to become. In the name of Jesus. Let us continue to understand this. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. 
All things. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. Romans 8.28. All things work together. Thank you. All things. Let's stand up and do it as we normally would do it in Jesus' name.